guess who's back? <laughs> back again. Uh, yeah, I'm back. It's, uh, and my name is Tim McCourt. For those of you who probably don't even know who I give a shit anyway. Um, and I'm here with Sam Taylor. And this is the Peg Bar and Grill podcast. Uh, it's a podcast where we speak to animators or people involved with animation uh, who happen to cross our paths and uh, kind enough to give us their time to have a couple of beers and shoot the shit. Yeah, um, this week on the podcast, we've got illustrator and art director, Tuna Bora, um, who was over from America for, I think, a couple of weeks. Or yeah, I think it was about she, six weeks. Yeah, she was kind enough to sit down and have a chat with us for uh, a little while. We, she talked all about things like working at Google. Uh, she worked on Google Spotlight Stories, their most recent film, uh, Pearl, which I think in my opinion, is probably the best one that they've done. Um, and um, all kinds of other stuff. It was super, super interesting. Yeah, amazing perspective also on uh, navigating around getting citizenships and visas uh, within the United States, being a non-US citizen. Yeah, so uh, if you're enjoying the podcast, I know we say this every week, but it really would make a difference if you guys could just open up iTunes, search for the podcast and give us a star review or write something. Or if there's any other way uh, that you want to tell people about the podcast or share it, that would really help get the word out. Allow us to get more people to listen to it and potentially things like sponsorship um, would definitely allow us to carry on um, pursuing this whole project. So yeah, thanks very much to Tuna for coming on and chatting to us. Uh, we are the Lion Animation, in case you didn't know. Um, enjoy. Thanks for listening. How was working on that? Um, you did that Google Spotlight Stories thing called... Yeah. Pearl? Pearl, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> With uh, Patrick Osborne, right? Yeah, yeah. How was that experience? I remember you saying that you were traveling a lot for it. Oh, yeah, it was crazy. <laughs> um, there were so many... Is that the one in the car? Mm. Yeah. I really like that. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. For, for, I, I wasn't super... Um, hot on the idea of these kind of like you know you're sat in one place and you can just kind of turn around kind mm -hmm. of experiences but that was really I don't know it felt like it there was genuine emotions in it and it felt really successful well in, that's awesome yeah yeah <laughs> thank no, you I, I liked it a lot um I think it does differ from the other ones a little bit mm. it's definitely a lot more involved and not necessarily just story-wise but you know uh the amount of work that you actually had to put into Pearl was different. Um, they kind of pulled us in as a team to bring them new challenges. So we kept doing that, right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, which was exciting because they had such a can-do attitude about everything. This was Google hired you as a team, which were part of Passion Pictures, is that right? No, this was completely... Was Passion Pictures involved? In Passion came uh, in the post, basically. Uh, okay, right. So, originally, if you look at the Spotlight stories, they are only released in the platform. So you would have to download the app and you would do the thing. And I don't know if they ever really cut a film. I don't... I mean, I'd have to check. But there was never um, a headset experience previously... I don't think they entered a lot of them into film festivals, but halfway through, uh, we, we were working under Google's ATAP division. Oh, so you were doing it from Google? 
Yeah. <laughs> so they just what? they picked they picked a team or did they? Uh, that was interesting too. So they approached Patrick um, at the Annecy the year before or something, and they were like, "Oh, would you and be he interested?" He directed in... Feast. And yeah, he's probably showing. I met that him at Annecy. that Annecy yeah. actually. Oh. Yeah, when they showed Feast. Yeah, yeah. he's a nice guy. <laughs> yeah, he is. Yeah. Um, and and I guess he said, you know, he would work on a few ideas, and they liked the the, the rough idea of Pearl. Mm. And then he contacted me and asked me if I was interested. Did it come out before Boyhood? No. Because it did definitely did remind me of that a little bit. A little bit, right? Tiny, tiny bit. Yeah. Um, I was pretty... Um, I was a big fan of Boyhood. Mm. I, I, I really liked that it had a little bit more subtlety than your typical film, you know, mm. in terms of character development mm. and stuff. Sadly, we didn't have that kind of time yeah. <laughs> to really explore much of any moment, you know. So um, the the idea originally um, was kind of like treating the car as a, as a character, I think. And it was a, it was a lot crazier. <laughs> it went through a lot of iterations. I don't know if he focused on boyhood. I know that there were a few things that we were trying to avoid feeling like. One of them was... A music video. We didn't want to feel too much like a music video, mm. where you know, because there's a song to it. Mm, mm. You have to deal with that. And um, I thought that was done quite artfully, actually, because it is effectively a music video. Yes. But it doesn't. You, you don't feel like you're watching a music video. Yeah. Um, it's funny. <laughs> I all, all my inspirations for this, and one of the reasons why I kind of pushed a little bit to get things into the '90s uh, time zone is because it was kind of current at the moment, but also this type of thing felt really 90s to me. And all I can think of is all the um, in-the-car 90s music videos. You know what yeah, I'm talking yeah, yeah, about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> On-the-road vibes. There's just so many music videos that came out in the span of one or two years. Where they yeah, were yeah. all, yeah, they were all pretty much the same thing. And some of them are in the desert even, so. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but um, I guess it is more about the characters. So it, it always kind of comes back to that. Mm. It, I, I hope it reads mm. more like a character story more so mm. than... You know, woo, you know, like it's just... <laughs> so was it Patrick's decision to put together a team then? Do what? So they contacted, they spoke to Patrick and, mm -hmm. and then he put together, a, assembled a team. Um, we obviously had final say yeah. for, for almost everything. Um, he brought me in and, and in the beginning it was just the two of us basically. Oh, cool. Really? For, for a little while, yeah. And uh, we had an in-house, uh, I, I don't want to butcher his title... But I think he was the um, he was responsible for the technical he was a technical lead and also responsible for matching the look uh, of the artwork to the the, the actual thing that we make. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, Cassidy Curtis was on the project. So by the way, he's amazing, just mm. the best. So it was mostly just the three of us and a few people who were working at Google full time. Um, we had a really fun modeler. Yeah, but they weren't people we hired. So they were they were there. Right, they were wonderful, yeah. and a few of them had worked on the other spotlight stories. So we had a few developers. We had you know, but in are you asking in terms of production and yeah, like you know, getting or? animators in and, oh, and yeah. actually going into it. So did animators, they set up a little studio for that production that he picked people for? Yeah, um, they he he mostly let me figure out art people, which was really fun. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Um, 
and and we interviewed them together and and obviously he knows what he wants to and it's just like this person we have to have this person <laughs> yeah, yeah. and um a few people from production were already there so our uh executive producer karen was already with spotlight stories full time yeah. and um david eisenman had just come on and for the proof of concept he wasn't uh, in charge of the project hmm. we didn't really have a producer for like oh, a month really? and a half yeah not n- no one no because we had a proof of concept phase where basically we would do a quick little test and they would decide if the project was going to get a green light or oh, no okay, well. yeah so um, after that it got staffed and he picked the animators because uh, right. he's an animator himself so yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. he's a great animator yeah so uh he obviously had very strong feelings about what should happen animation-wise, mm. <laughs> which was actually great, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah I think that's that's uh, that's how most of the team got put together. And, and it's part of... So this uh, ATAP thing is advanced technology and projects, right? Yeah. Is What's it got to do with DARPA? Because um, DARPA's like the, <laughs> the like military... Yes. ...ex-government thing that... Alphabet board, I guess. Yeah, it's kind of a funny... It's just a little bit of ATAP history, I guess. Uh, Regina Dugan, who was the leader of ATAP, uh, was a director of DARPA. She was, I think, the 19th director of DARPA. And <laughs> so they're the ones was, who do that, like... She was the head of DARPA. Kind of, like, walking, kind of horse-dog thing that, like, That's Boston things. Dynamics. Oh, I don't sorry. know if that's under... Oh, right. <laughs> I don't okay, know if that's right. under them, but they invented the internet... Okay. And and many other things, you know, they're kind of important people mm-hmm. and just very forward thinking, just amazing. But she, after leaving DARPA, I don't know, immediately or not, she started this research division for Motorola and she did a bunch of technology projects with them. Uh, and eventually Google bought this. So, so they bought Motorola, I think, but they definitely bought ATAP and they kept her where she was. So she became... It was just like a basically a different subdivision under Google. We weren't under the main Google. It's just right. a different building in the in the campus and mm. just like super high security and stuff because like you know nobody can know mm. about what's happening in there. Right. It just felt like a what spy movie. What are some movie. of the security measures that they do? Well, there's some weird things where uh, they tell people to not let anybody in, and um, if you're coming in. You have to know the person and you have to call them from a monitor and they have to come get you and print you this thing. And uh, yeah, like you have different level passes. So a lot of people couldn't swipe and come into that building. They, right, right. Yeah, they had to have the right um Is there like clearance. a few security who like make sure people are going in and out of the right offices and stuff like that? Well, not like that, but there were weird things. Like if people came to visit, a lot of times they had to be taken through the back because uh, the room has whiteboards. I think it's okay for me to say this. And a lot of people work on the whiteboards. Like it's meant to be, you can write on the wall kind of thing. So a lot of the projects are available to see on the wall. Oh, so right. you bring in a person, you know, how, yeah, yeah. you know, it's, yeah, you shouldn't be showing people stuff. Yeah, industrial yeah. espionage. <laughs> it kind of feels a little bit espionage for sure. Yeah. And then the rooms have glass doors, uh, or, or it's mostly glass walls. Yeah. So you can see into the rooms where people are working. And right, right. Just amazing things come out of there, though. Mm. And because of Regina, a, a number of people from DARPA had also come with her because they, they admired her as a leader and liked working with her. And uh, we had some funny interactions, and, you know, I, silly things definitely happened where. 
but that's so crazy that somebody who's essentially in charge of a sort of a government military <laughs> kind of skunk work projects gets put in charge of making animated short films for Google. Well, if you say it like that, yeah, it does obviously become kind of funny, but she um, really loved illustration, loved, she really loves illustration and yeah. uh, she was a firm believer of this project. Actually, they have this rule at ATAP <laughs> where um, each project is supposed to get about two years of time. So um, every week you put into the project is, um, what does it become? Like 1% of the project. Right. And they tend to tend to retire projects after two years is over, unless there's some kind of thing going on. But this project they kept on for much longer, and she was like, "Yeah, I wanted to keep going." So how long did it go for? Um, well, they're still working on some spotlight stories. So oh, it's still you mean ongoing. spotlight is in the the t- the two year thing for spotlight? You mean not not the individual projects? Not Pearl. Yeah. Oh right. But uh, oh yeah, I guess I guess I should explain that. So Spotlight Stories is one of the projects under ATAP. Right. Okay. The other ones that came out were things like um, the techno- the radar technology that lets you control your uh, mini smart watch without touching it, and yeah, like um, Dot Mudge, who was uh, a hacker uh, who was part of Loft, who worked at DARPA, invented a chip you can put into your phone that encrypts everything. A lot of these things aren't made for commercial use, obviously. Yeah. But um, so Spotlight Stories was the funniest thing, yeah. in my opinion. I yeah. kept feeling like, oh, this is kind of cool. And, and I hope when I say this, this doesn't sound like I think otherwise generally. But it's kind of fun to be the dumbest person in the room, you know, like mm. in the whole building, because the one person you're talking to, like, immense, uh, a cure for cancer, and the other, do, you know, oh, so like... so they the, have the cure for cancer, then? Oh, of course. <laughs> I knew <laughs> no. it. No, but, like, everybody has some really in-depth knowledge about yeah. programming and technology and, and or, yeah. you know... Inventing chips and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, there was... Uh, they, 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 I can talk about the projects they released, but they made a smart fabric that responds to like you can wash it and it's it will still respond to your touch as a way to interact with your smartphone and a fabric uh well they worked with levi's actually they yeah they're releasing a jacket where you can uh pretty much like it's a biking jacket and so while you're biking you don't have to use your phone it's kind of smart you know but they found the kind of fabric that you can weave into the jacket and it looks just like denim and you can wash it and it doesn't and it, and it can show displays on it. No, there's a. Uh, it doesn't show displays, but you can uh, control it through like the things that they actually built into the the. Wow. Track. Yeah, it's, it's just kind of cool. There's a little piece that goes with it that you attach, but um, you can swipe on your jacket and it will switch songs, and you can answer your phone, and you know it's just like the stuff that they're building. Yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. looking at these people who are inventing things people thought were impossible ten years ago. Yeah. And I'm like, I can draw things. <laughs> How's it going? <laughs> well, I bet they wanted to have a look at what you were doing. Oh, they were super excited about the project because yeah. to them it's weird. But I'm like, mm, <laughs> I'm not buying it. You're smarter than me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I think you were telling me that you were living in Los Angeles and you were traveling to San Francisco yeah. every weekend. Almost every week. No, throughout the week. So a number of days of the week I would be up north. There was maybe... Um, I don't know. I'm going to make it up, but like 80, 85% of the time I was there. 
at least once a week, yeah. Could you not just move there for the project? <laughs> I didn't want to. Oh, right. Okay. How but, long was the, the project? Um, well, there is a, um, there's a process of us working on it. And then afterwards, there is some kind of post-production that takes care of a lot of the technical parts of it. And I think it took quite a long time altogether, but mm. I was on it for maybe from April till November, December-ish. Okay. Yeah. And um, we, I started with Patrick. He started two days before me. <laughs> and, um, you know, the other parts of it just went on for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, with this one, because they wanted to release it on so many platforms, there were many, many problems to solve. They were they were launching Google 360 uh, as a as a channel on YouTube because oh, yeah. Google had bought YouTube, so we had this yeah. uh, added thing. We were doing the Vive. Um, we we're actually just trying to figure out like which one it was going to go to, and they were doing a Google Cardboard version. And then when they when Regina wanted because she was such a big fan, um, she wanted to put it into the film film circuit, the film festival circuit. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so we had to do a 2D cut, which is where um, where they contacted Passion. Oh, right, because we okay. needed an editor. Mm -hmm. So they came in for the 2D print particularly. and But they were lovely. They were really mm -hmm. nice. Um, so you, you went up and you, you started working on it with Patrick from the beginning. Were you involved in the story side of things as well? Or was it just purely art direction? No, yeah. We, we did a lot of story sessions together. It was, okay. kind, of, it was kind of fun because um, he's super interested in character stories. But... It's, a, it's essentially a daughter and a single dad. Mm. And he's not a single dad. And he's never been someone's daughter. Right, okay. So um, it was kind of fun to sometimes be like, no, this is not so what a girl like, does. I need a single dad, too now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, my experience as a single dad really came in handy. No, um, uh, you know, the idea of the film was definitely there when he pitched it to them. But essentially what I was pitching to him constantly was a much darker version of the story. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, because I guess I tend to go that way pretty naturally. So mm. um, it's cool. Like he doesn't necessarily, he, he, he has a tendency to like more realistic animation and more realistic characters, you know. So it was fun because he was obviously open to hear ideas, not just from me, but other people too. And um it, it was nice because I kept pushing for certain things and it's always good to have a director who wants to hear, you know, from a, from an experienced perspective, what something is like. Like she goes through the, the rebellious phase of being a teenager, teenage girl. And it's just something, you know, I, it's always so wrong in every film. Uh, you know, Boyhood was okay, where, like, she, because, you know, I was, was an actual person interacting, although it was the director's daughter, I think. Um, I, I believe it was, uh, but I'm not sure. And um, whenever I see a dude direct a 14-year-old girl, it's just, it always feels off to me. I'm like, no, that's not, that's not what we're going through. <laughs> you don't understand. It would be like me trying to explain what a boy's going through in puberty, mm. and I could probably make it funny, but I couldn't make it genuine, you know? Um... So it was cool. There were a few dads on the team, so they had that perspective covered more, I think. Mm. But um, like one of them, super nice guy and has a very sweet daughter, but she's really young, you know. I was like, oh, like, um, 
like, yeah, but my daughter would never do that. And I'm like, just you wait, like until she turns 15, it's going to be quite different. So were you the only female on the, on the team? No, I, I hired a bunch of uh, people and among, amongst them, there were some girls. Uh, one of our interns was a girl. The other intern who worked in production was also a girl. Um, we eventually ended up getting a coordinator who was also a girl and our EP was a woman and it was cool. But I think a lot of them weren't necessarily involved in the story thing. Mm. Uh, something really interesting happens, I think, when you travel with people and work with them. And, you know, um, we, would, we would pretty much go to Mountain View, which is this middle of nowhere place in Silicon Valley. There's nothing to do there. It's, it's a place that was meant to be a suburb in the 80s. So you have these huge empty malls where everything is closed. And really? there's nothing to do at night, of course. That's and, wicked. You know, it's like five restaurants open when you finish working and so uh and everything is really far apart there's you know there isn't like a promenade you could go to and hang out there isn't this kind of situation where you guys are so you become friends with your director it happens very quickly we also get along and still talk obviously but you're traveling with them you know you wake up sure why not yeah just one just one i knew we'd get you i knew we'd get you Way. I just don't want to... Oh, ah. shit. Oh. Tap it from the bottom with the other one. I, is that good advice? It's oh, supposed that... to stop it. Oh, okay. Did I it stop? What, why don't you take that? I haven't touched it. <laughs> okay. Yeah, uh, right, sorry, you were saying about a mountain view. <laughs> it's, it's terrible. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a beautiful place. People who live there have sought it out. And if, for that life, it's great. But for somebody who you know, is traveling and has mm. just left LA and is there for work. It's not the most entertaining area. So uh, you're waking up at five, going to the airport, meeting the person you're working with. You're flying with them. You're working all day. And then you stay at five the same in the hotel. Morning. Well, sometimes to get like the early morning oh, flight. I, I didn't live close to the airport at the time. Um, and then, you know, you get out, you, you leave work, you go to the same hotel you have dinner together and you're just talking about story and whatever. And then you, you go to bed and you wake up and you go to the studio together. So it just turns into this ridiculous, you mm. know, you're really spending all of your time together situation. Thankfully, he's a very pleasant person. So this was never a problem. And um, Has there been opportunity to work with him since? Um, is well, he doing feet? Is he developing a feet? He's doing now? everything. Right, okay, yeah. <laughs> that guy is doing everything. Yeah, yeah. So he has a bunch of projects that are greenlit, and one of them is a feature. And yeah, what is it? Was it announced? He the, he uh, is working on Nimona. It's a comic. Right. Okay. Uh, it's wonderful. So he pitched that, and uh, what studio is making that? Uh, they have a agreement with Blue Sky right now. Okay. Um, I don't want to necessarily say what's happening because I'm not sure oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. how it's yeah but uh, there's that and he is attached to Battling Boy which he wants to turn into a film and Battling Boy yeah I'm not heard it's of also a comic okay yeah and uh, you know he has the ambition and I think the talent to do both live action and animation so he's interested in that too oh, and yeah he's he's a pretty He's really good at pitching. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, so um, he's coaching me. I'm trying to learn how to pitch oh, from him. Oh, wicked. <laughs> um, Hit us. Give us your best pitch. Yeah. No, I can't do that. Come on. <laughs> Tell we're in an elevator. <laughs> uh, too much pressure. <laughs> um, I remember seeing at Annecy, they sh- he showed a test that he made, uh, which 
sort of uh, who who was it the director John Cars who directed Paper Man yeah and then he worked closely with him I think he did like he was the lead animator he was the lead, animation yeah. lead yeah and um, but I think how he got paired up with him is that he'd done this like test at Disney where it was like oh yeah have you I seen know what it? you're talking about the one that he did alone yeah 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 it's so cool yeah. I thought it looked better than Paper Man actually <laughs> like, I actually really like that test yeah, too yeah um and it's sort of you could see how Feast developed out of that, but um, yeah, uh, yeah. I was like, I was, I was kind of like, it was, a, it was a kind of like conference about Paperman and how, and sort of John Cars was the main person talking. And I was like, fuck, that guy seems the most interesting, like, mm. like super talented animator. He'd done this like wicked test, and um, I think they look a bit similar because, um, if I'm not wrong, Jeff Turley did a lot of the artwork for both of them. Oh, the, so, yeah, Jeff yeah, was yeah. the production was, designer, art director. Of he's incredible, that people. guy. He's also a really funny dude. Oh, really? Yeah, okay. he's great. Um, but I think he also did all the artwork for the oh. test that you saw. And then oh, Patrick really? did all the animation and stuff, and they worked together. But that was the first time I think they did work together, which is right. why he ended up becoming the production designer of Feast. Oh, yeah, I think... Isn't that the, the dude who was production designer on... Paperman as well. Is that what you're talking about? Um, I just called him that. <laughs> and I need oh, to right. double check. But I'm pretty sure he was doing all the environment stuff. Like that yeah, was definitely yeah. under him. Mm. Uh, characters. I don't want to assume it's him. But he, he can do anything. Yeah. Charlie is great. <laughs> yeah, this is the guy I'm thinking of. I was impressed by his stuff. He was kind of the person that I think was a little bit overlooked at the studio at the time as an oh, artist. Because... Yeah. Yeah. There's a there was a very strong Disney style and they were uh, making a point to go with, you know, in a in a very large studio like that. I think people move in a little bit more of an expected sort of way mm. and nobody really knew what he was capable of until he started doing all this stuff. And yeah, but that's what I thought was cool about their shorts division at that time is that like it only just started back up their whole shorts thing, and um, I liked that they were sort of giving opportunities to like talented people who. Uh, wasn't necessarily like a household sort of name I say household name but within the animation industry certainly like I hadn't heard of any of these dudes before I saw them talk in a lecture and I was like fucking hell like these guys are amazing (laughs) like I don't know if I'm dead on spot on with this but the things that I feel in the larger company structures is you do tend to end up with some overhead and you're not just going to release your artists even though all this stuff is ever-changing. So before, they would hire the same people for 40, 60 years and keep them, right? And I think now there's shorter-term contracts and people work from home, so all this stuff is a little bit different. But I'd say Disney is still um, pretty, you know, they, they like their home people. But you do end up with people who have time off, and sometimes those are the people who tend to get sucked into the smaller projects like shorts. Yeah. They're like, oh, you can have these guys. Which one oh, do you right, want? Yeah. So it was a little bit like that. Somehow, Turley, as far as I know, Turley ended up with time in his hands. Yeah. And Patrick was like, oh, I want that guy. Mm. Give him to me. And people were like, whatever. Okay, have him. Yeah. <laughs> if you want him, he's yours. Um, it was insane. But all the people on that <laughs> paper man were like really like amazing people. Like mm-hmm. I think even like Eric Goldberg. Helen Chen's on it. Mm. Wasn't Eric Goldberg doing like some stuff on the, for like the cleanup line on it? 
Fact checker. Check it up, man. I remember like seeing like I'm a not vi- quick enough fact checker. They made like a video of all the people who'd worked on it. And there was the dude who I think he's he's like the guy who done all the character design for um Glen Keane? No. No, no, it was he did all the character design for Hit Big Hero Six and Oh Sheun? Yeah. Sheen I think he did like a lot of like, their I team think was Sheen amazing. did the characters, but I'm not yeah. sure, yeah. He's also insane. Yeah, yeah. Sheun is amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Both of these dudes are so nice. Is it and so, and Kim? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. They're, when you meet them, they're both kind of like really in their own... Uh, I don't know how to say this. They almost seem aloof, but in, in a really sweet, positive, positive mm. sort of way. Like yeah. You're like, how are you actually this nice? Yeah. And yeah. Uh, <laughs> Um, they're obviously super talented. I think yeah. there's a little bit of that, right? When you meet people who are super talented. Oh, like, they're so humble. And like, yeah. Very humble, very sweet. Almost, you'd almost think they don't know how talented they are and maybe I it's true. I think that's true of animation. I've met people who are yeah. like talented musicians or talented <laughs> blah, blah, blah. Like one of my best friends is a talented uh, tattoo artist, but he's sort of, he's definitely arrogant about, not arrogant about it, but he's like, He's not that into like people talking to him about it and stuff like I that. I kind of have a weird theory about this, but yeah. I might be wrong. So according to my theory, yeah. in all these other professions, you are in far more direct competition with everybody you're around or right. the people around you have no idea what you're doing, don't understand it and don't understand the process. So you're very singular and people around you are either your admirers who don't really understand you, but you know they give you a lot of ego boost. Mm-hmm. Or they are people who understand you, but you're kind of, you know, competing with them constantly. Yeah. But in animation, you're surrounded with people who do exactly what you do one yeah. way or another, or you're you're part of the team. And I think there's just a stronger bond, you know? Yeah, yeah. You're not all of a sudden the solo, you're not BoJack Horseman all of a sudden, you know, just like yeah, surrounded yeah. by a bunch of people who have no idea what your life is like. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it's a much more humbling experience. You right. know, you yeah. can never be like, "I did this. This is mine." Because even if you do, you're jerking. You do, yeah. you know, it's not true. It's yeah, yeah. no. I, I think that's the thing I like the most about animation. Yeah, that it's super collaborative and everyone's you know. generally really nice. By and large, like ninety to ninety-five percent of the people I've met in yeah animation are super nice. It's only these guys who are the dickheads. <laughs> 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 No, you guys uh, have a really good energy. But every time I meet someone in animation, I make a new friend. Like, yeah. it's crazy. You know, like, mm. it's, everyone's okay. super nice. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. It's probably something like, um, if you're um, a Star Trek nerd, and <laughs> you go you to a Star Trek this? convention, you kind of can't really help but make friends with people because they mm. are like this very small part of the population who have a similar experience to you. Yeah. There is uh, something that Rebecca Sugar talks about often um, for listeners, I guess. She created Steven Universe. Yeah. So she talks about when she read Roland Barthes. Do you guys know him? The name He's a super cool French philosopher dude who okay. is like a generation before us, basically. But I'm so glad I didn't go. Didn't he go Goblin? <laughs> <laughs> I think I follow his blog. <laughs> I think we follow each other on Instagram. Yeah. Um, he has this theory where she, she paraphrases it as you have a visual, like everything you love, you have a visual language of it, basically. Yeah. And so when you create 
something that shares the same things you love visually. You you share this thing with people. It becomes like a love language, basically. Right, okay. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, yeah, like even if you love a person, it's basically all these images, moments you have of that person. It's not really, yeah. you know, the person. Right. Like a shared vocabulary or whatever. Yeah. Exactly, like a shared visual vocabulary. And, and so she's she talks about how being a creator is so great of, you know, something where it's promoting the... Um, the love of all sorts of different people, not just um, <laughs> not just the old school fairy tale, you know, yeah, boy yeah. girl situation. Yeah, yeah, and it's awesome. You know, she's like, oh, it's great to be a part of people's visual love language. Right, right, I right. thought it was beautiful. Yeah, yeah, such no, a beautiful nice way to put it. Where, yeah. where was this that she said this? Um, I think it was in an interview, but she said it more than once. So, oh, okay. uh, I'm sure we could find it easily. Just to just to get back. Mm-hmm. Just quickly to the process of coming up with Pearl, because I think it's really interesting. It's um, so you guys sat down and you had some story meetings, and then at a certain point you went into production. And what was like the first steps of like once you had the story locked down? What was the first steps? Did you storyboard it? Like how do you approach something like that, which is three sixty? We just hit the three sixty film render button, button and yeah. it just came. <laughs> yeah. <out. laughs> Um, it was actually very involved and it's it's super complicated when you get into it because there's no pipeline for 360 and there's a good reason for that. You don't get a pre-render of any kind. Mm. So you have to pretty much base everything you do off of that. It's different when you do 360 connected to a computer because you have a power source. I had someone sit down and explain this to me because it was like, I don't get it. You're an engineer. Go. And he was wonderful and and basically, you know, um, on the phone at least, you can only apply a certain number of shaders and a certain number of uh, polygons and everything because your phone has to load these scenes up and it cannot lag. There's just no way. Yeah. Uh, not only does it make people sick, but it also just doesn't work very well. So yeah. There's no point doing it if it's going to yeah. be shitty. We came with the loose idea. He came <laughs> with the loose idea. And we pretty much needed it through every challenge. You know, there's so many unexpected things and... In, in a typical animation process, I think you solve for X. You go for, you know, which one is the thing that's going to push me most? Is it time? Is it budget? Is it, you know, the talent that I have? Or what, what, what do we need to basically work around? Mm. And I love that, you know, coming in and designing for it. For pitches, because I usually do a lot of pitches. It's super fun because I'm like, oh, you don't have money, so I can make, like, super crude stuff. And it's necessary and it's great, you know? <laughs> Um, but for this, there was no deadline for the project to end. <laughs> we had contracts and they were going to end and they were like, oh, we'll just extend if, you know, there was a good budget. Um, and then we had no other knowledge of what. So it's software X, but everything is X. <laughs> You're like, where do we begin? We started with trying to sort out the story and um, all the parts had to kind of pretty much overlap you know figuring out parts of the story happened as we were doing artwork as we were doing other things and part of the proof of concept phase was actually designing stuff that didn't have to be final the style didn't have to be final Mm. the characters weren't really figured out so there weren't final characters or anything and we didn't have a whole lot of time to um devote to it you know, because the most important part was trying to um, figure out what it was going to feel like and if it was going to technically feel right 
for the idea that was pitched, which was telling a story through inside of the car. The, the first challenge we tackled for the proof of concept was the editing. So this is the only film where there's clear edit cuts. And I think the only reason why I can do that is because the car's there. Mm. You know, in, a, in, an, in any other situation where you cut, some, cut on someone and open somewhere else, it's super jarring. So yeah, yeah. you can't do it. And, um, because it's not changing shots. It's, it's like a jump cut in the same. Yeah, it's a match cut every time. So it, it really doesn't matter. Um, throughout the film, if you do the vibe, the camera does move a little bit, but you don't really feel it. And it's a very soft move. So you don't. You don't feel, yeah, again, everything is trying to make people feel comfortable. And so we, he just went, you know, here's kind of the basic story. We started working on it. And I was like, oh, what if it's like in a junkyard? And what if we open on blah, blah, blah. So we picked two scenes and I um, pitched that we go for two scenes that are extremely different. So one of them was this, the, the dad and the daughter driving in a car during sunset uh, around the desert. And then the other one was these boys finding the car, which this scene got cut, but uh, in the beginning you find her finding the car. We were going to have what I called wildlings because I was watching too much Game of Thrones mm-hmm. uh, coming into the car and finding the tape deck and playing. And, you know, they're like, oh, you know, they have turned into a fort and oh, they wow. have their like little things there. And uh, It was actually very much like mud. That was my reference for I that. I haven't seen it. Oh, it's actually really interesting. I hate Matthew McConaughey, but it's great. Um, So it was these two scenes. One of them is a sunny scene and midday and in an entire forest-ish area. The other one's in the desert. So everything was, you know, the lighting, the the characters. So if you can make that feel okay, I think we were saying you're going to feel okay in the car. Right. So he was just like, go make cool stuff. (laughs) And I came with these paintings. And the style was all different. And uh, for about a month, month and a half, the team worked on getting those two shots to work as seamlessly as possible together and figuring out how you model for it, how you use cards for it, how you create matte paintings or, you know, um, one of the hardest things with with 360 is how do you design for 360, you know? (laughs) Trying to do those drawings, trying to figure out... um, I'm pretty sure we would have ended up with it anyway, but I was like, we have to go for a wide-angle lens. It's going to look terrible otherwise, you know. (laughs) We have to go for, like, something uh, that doesn't make the car everything and everything starts Mm. distorting. But then that caused other problems with do we distort the outside and if we're building the camera into the... uh, Sorry, if we're building the uh, lens width into the camera, then is it going to distort everything else? And so you have to mm. cheat everything. So yeah. there was a heavy technical figuring out of things side of it. And did you have people who'd done VR stuff before who were advising you at all? Because um, there is certain technical <laughs> things that you need that you can only kind of know from experience, I guess. Uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> well, we had a few members. Uh, one of the, the modeler we were working with um, had. We were working with a character modeling studio that was based off of LA, but the talent was in Spain. And they had done other projects, but the other uh, spotlight stories don't have human characters. They also don't have, you know, um, they don't have the complexity of what we've built environment wise. We have, I'm making this number up, but it's in an article. I'll find it. Yeah. 
we have something like 30, 35 environments, I think, that we cut through. They're all built, you know. Right. And the, each, each environment of uh, the film is pretty much the size of the entire film of other ones. So, oh, really? Yeah, it has to load that so quickly, and is it going to work, and what can we really pull off? And we were running into all sorts of weird problems. Um, Google uses its own version of Unity. They don't really use Unity. We do have to do a Maya feed into it, model-wise, modeling-wise. And animation is, you know, typical animation based off of Maya models. But you bring them into the system and, you know, like we had a big presentation with Regina and this was like our, is it going to get greenlit or not meeting? People weren't stressing out exactly, but people were trying to get it right. And we had the car kind of covered in bushes and the we found the car scene, you know, everything's broken and there's like other junk cars and... We brought in the thing that was supposed to cover the car. It, it's just uh, ivy, and it turned into a cube, and nobody could untangle this thing. There's no grass. There's no, uh, you know, ivy. And somebody's sat down and built all this stuff, but you can't untangle it. So there was a weird uh, <laughs> challenge aspect of it, for sure. Right, yeah. And um, one of the reasons why I changed the style immediately <laughs> after that is because I knew that it was just going to look weird, and it just didn't feel right. Um. And there was, there was all this other stuff that went into the design process too, where you want people to use the camera and move around, but you have to realize that nobody's used to doing so. Mm. <laughs> so how do you get people to feel like they should move around? Mm. And there's weird things. If you design, if you, if you um, stronghold the audience into looking a certain way, or you f force the camera to focus in a certain area, uh, people most likely stop moving after that. Mm. They're like, oh, like we should just stay here. Because we're so used to watching animation yeah, yeah. that um, I think we want to surrender to the experience unless mm. So that's why you've should. got some stuff on the back seat and some stuff on the front seat and there's... Yeah, it was, it was weird. Uh, Patrick did a really great um, pass of 2D storyboards where the camera constantly turns. We were first trying to figure out if the movement should go in one direction and do we encourage the audience to do that exact move we want by moving the characters around slowly, you know, and all this other stuff. But eventually, I think we had to kind of rely on, yes, people are going to look other way. It's, it's totally fine. And there are things you can do. You can build little triggers in and make people... Uh, make the story wait for people. And there are times where music can do that. But there are times where, because it's a musical, music can't do that. Because mm. also the sound is directional, isn't it? So when you turn it, right? When oh, yeah, the, around, the sound recording. Kind of the sound's coming from. The sound recording for this is insane. We had Scott Stafford, he's incredible sound designer, where he recorded all this stuff. He was paying attention to everything. And he, he is one of those guys who, you know, like animators you find who are obviously obsessed with the art of it and yeah. just, you know, will not rest well until they get it right. Yeah. He was that guy for sound. Mm. So he was super devoted to it mm. where we had everything um, recorded uh, in a studio in Berkeley. And he got the uh, singers to come and play inside the car and outside the car and all the stuff to get the sound to be exactly right for mm. all these places. It's crazy. So you had an actual car in the recording studio? No. No, oh, right. okay, okay. no, no he, uh, we had a regular recording studio. Okay, and right. then I, I'm pretty sure he figured out some kind of rig to record uh, 
Yeah, it's crazy. And people, obviously, there was a process of songwriting which was happening. There's a there's a moment where she's singing, and the, how much of it matches the song, and yeah. you know, is there lip syncing? Is it is, is the right, conversation right, right. matched to the music? And yeah, so so many moving parts. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just everything is moving parts, and there are certain things. There's a generally wonderful, but um, animation-wise, insane attitude of you know, let's try it, let's make it, you know, mm. whatever it is, we won't know until we try. Yeah. But they're not really, they don't judge success by deadline necessarily. So you're like, when do you think you'll have the prototype? And it's just kind of a loose question mm. as to, uh, their teams are very lucid, you know, they'll give and take people between projects at times. And so it, I, f- from where I stood, whenever I asked questions about, you know, when will we know if this will work or not? Uh, from the beginning, they were like, you just have to like not ask that question ever really? because, yeah, pretty much every project comes together at the very, very, very end. Um, as far as I know, with the first one they did, um, the one that John Clausen designed, the first first one, yeah. uh, one of the defining things was the shadows, the way that they used the shadows, mm-hmm. something that helped them bring the 2D designs into 3D you know, the, the 360 yeah. 3D. And uh, the shadows only came in, like, in the last week or something. I really... Yeah, I, I think part of it is you don't really know until it works that it works. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it can be very frustrating because, you know... And um, Cassidy did a lot of research as to inventing new ways to use the shaders and whether we could get that look right or not. Yeah, it looks yeah. awesome. Like, I was really yeah. surprised about that look you guys guys managed to get out well right. thank you uh, i'll let the guys know <laughs> um we we did go back and forth to try to get something that would be nice i think right. uh as far as the lights go a lot of it was hand drawn in so right. oh really yeah the, the the masking so we would have the uh the stuff right and was it always going to be sort of toon shaded looking um well, we didn't want tune shading, so How was we working never on that, used. Um, you did that Google Spotlight with solid colors or yes, whatever. Yes, yes, yes. I mean, we do use some bleeds and some other things, but given that you cannot use more than a few lights on anything, it really, really limits you because you know you guys do 3D animation too, so you totally mm, understand it makes that. It heavy. Yeah, you process. have to just it, unless you pre-render, you can't run, run that stuff on a phone. So. Um, Part of the thing I wanted to do was to forget that it's animation, <laughs> as much as I love animation, uh, and put it out as an experience, you know, design it to be an experience where the look of it is very game-like, and it's super, very much on purpose, because I want people to move around, you know, I want but people like to But like a certain type of game, like a certain type of, like, <laughs> of good-looking indie game. Yeah, guess, of course. Right? But I think that look is not something you're used to seeing um, in kind of an observing animation type. Like, there is no history of this look in animation. You go and pay and see at a theater, you know? Yeah, yeah. So that's very much what I was going for. Like, it shouldn't feel completely foreign, but it also shouldn't feel like, why are we reusing design techniques and, and little solutions we found for 2D animation in something that's 360, where mm. if the thing you want people to do is to sit down and watch exactly the same way. It makes sense. But otherwise, I think referencing something that's invented for a certain specific reason mm. doesn't necessarily always make sense. Mm. You know, I, I love tradition when it makes sense. And, and I think 
even in real life, people don't get this always. People don't know what design is referencing, referencing half the time. Mm. And I think sometimes that's why you get designs that contradict themselves, you know? Um, this is also my big beef with uh, form over function. I just, you know, oh, you like design so much you forgot that what design means. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so we, the first designs we did were a little bit more traditional. They were in the, in the vein of what Patrick is used to, which is a little bit more like Feast and, you know, uh, he, he responds well to that kind of thing, but he was open to everything else. And that proof of concept phase was actually really great. It's it's a great research and development thing, which mm. I wish we had more time to do in commercial projects. Yeah, you know, who were some of the other people that you got on board? There was, I know there's Oren Haskins. Yeah, who's incredible. Yeah, he's a great guy. We yeah. became close friends actually. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, he was in Australia at the time. Mm. Yeah, we had like a team around the world, which was great. Uh, Oren started early, and uh, Willie Rael was part of it. Uh, who he, did character designs on it? Um, it was mostly Oren. I did some of the designs and uh, other people have touched them up. Uh, Meg Park worked on it. Do you guys know him? Uh, her? Meg Park. Meg Park. No. She's, she's in uh, Scotland. Uh, okay. She works in animation a lot. And um, yeah, we, we had a lot of people. Willie did some of the character designs. But it was kind of fun <laughs> trying to turn those designs into 3D. Mm. And, you know, people interpret very good and and knowingly simple design in different ways. Yeah. So it was, it was challenging, you know. Uh, modelers were animate like modelers were seeing it differently, and you know they were. This, the thing that happens a lot when you design kind of just shape based characters is you yeah. get a lot of anatomy back and yeah. all this stuff. So we had to deal with that, and also obviously the characters get distorted because you're using some kind of distortion inside the car and. So it's, oh, right. you know, the look of things had to change quite a bit from the yeah. original designs, but it still hopefully feels exactly the same, you know. Mm. Some of the designs were up on Cutting Brew, I think. Yeah, I think designs. so. Yeah. Oh, it, seems like they, it seems like they, you guys didn't diverge wild, too wildly from the original stuff. No, no, not too much, yeah. Uh, the proof of concept characters were all different, but that's when we didn't really know who the characters were. And, right, right, right. Yeah, uh, I've known Oren's work for a really long time, and... Um, I, I think we had really brief communication before the project. And uh, I, I, I already knew that he would be a really, really good addition to this kind of more polygonal look. Um, so it was like, oh, he, here's a guy who understands straights and curves really well, mm. and this will be fun. You know, he will, he will take this uh, as a fun challenge. And I was not surprised that, you know, he did beautiful stuff. I wanted to ask you a bit about how you got the job, hmm. that job for... I got an email from Patrick. Oh, really? Just out yeah. of the blue? So he's seen your stuff online? Um, I think he has, uh, but also he says we met once, which I can't recall. <laughs> um, it's, again, it's a very small industry, so I think you, you meet people uh, either secondhand or you come across their work very easily. And I think he was looking for a very strong light direction stuff like that's something he seems to enjoy and uh, obviously when you work on a project like project like this you have to hire who's available to I you know I wouldn't go as far as to say like he saw my work and it was the only thing he wanted but um, it's it's kind of fun he 
I was like, oh, do you, are you interested? I was like, uh, yes. <laughs> very, very easy decision to make, yeah. Uh, you seem to be really good at using social media. Not really. I don't know. <laughs> really? Yeah, I follow you on Instagram and now they've done that kind of snapchat thing. You've always got a new snapchat thing, right? Oh, you know what? I It's the first time... Is it time moments or something? Oh, I don't know Stories. 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 Yeah. Um, this trip is the first time I'm using it. Oh, really? And um, I think they introduced that recently, which is kind of a rip-off of Snapchat. Yeah, yeah. I don't really use Snapchat. I yeah. don't have a... Mm. Um, that kind of turned into my quick way of keeping track of what I was doing, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, um, I, I kind of had this perfect holiday of seeing friends and meeting people, but also a lot of solo time. Mm-hmm. So for that, it kind of entertains me and it's fun. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's, it's obviously awkward and whenever I have done it with people next to me, I feel dumb. You know, it's just like, why would you whip out a phone and start randomly recording stuff and... <laughs> I don't know. Like That's you're good. not. You're but not you've really. Got, you've got quite an audience on Instagram, though, right? Um, I, I have a few followers, mm. but I think the new algorithm is super weird, and I don't know oh, what yeah. it's doing because the interaction has changed a lot. Which is mm. sadly kind of something that happens whether they change the algorithm or not. I think right. people grow out de- of. Have you seen a decline in your? Oh yeah. Followers? Oh yeah. Really? Well, I mean, like it now they introduced this thing called insights that shows you how many people have seen your stuff and. Mine is always like one tenth, one eighth of the people who follow me see, and that includes even people oh, who like don't follow me. I think. Oh yeah, you get statistics as to um, on, on the, through the app. Yeah. Oh, okay. Is it like Instagram for business or something? You have to. Sign I, yeah, I mean, I think it's because Facebook bought them. Everything is very political, but Facebook bought them, and they have their own shitty thing where, if you have a page on Facebook, they also made you invisible to your audience unless you pay for ads and I don't know if that's what they'll do for Instagram or if this is something that just cuts the um you know I don't know if they're trying to reduce people influence you know the the person brand influence of Instagram people and just introducing ads to um the 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 brands that tend to give right money to Instagram uh, influencers or, you know, I don't know what's behind it, but that definitely changed on Facebook and it doesn't seem like a coincidence that it changed on Instagram. And is it something that you're really aware of? Like when you're, when you are starting out on Instagram, putting your work up and stuff, were you sort of strategic about how you, about (laughs) stuff you're putting up and sort of looking at what was getting more likes than others and kind of building on that kind of stuff or? It's kind of a weird thing. I, I started doing this stuff previous to um, getting on Instagram or anything. I was doing pieces of work every day. It was, uh, um, it was, I was talking to Pascal Campion. It was many years oh, ago. Yeah, and, shit. Yeah, yeah, he, he was the one who was like, oh, you're never really, I met you and I spent 10 minutes with you and you're never going to be fully happy in a studio job. <laughs> so you should do this thing where, you know, you work on your own stuff and yeah. you, you'll learn a lot more. You'll learn the kind of stuff you really want to or need to learn. And it seemed like good advice at the time, so I started doing it. Um, and and on, I, I think the minute you start caring too much about what gets more likes, you're biting your own tail. It's pretty much over from then on. You're just going to keep making less inspired versions of things you've already made that people yeah, seem yeah. to like. So I see that as a dead end to actually finding new things. And to me, it, it really turns me off. Right. For people who do it and enjoy it, perfectly fine, but... 
it, it depresses me if I do it. So <laughs> I just stay away from it. But I do have a few weird rules. Like I don't post personal things because I don't think it's of anyone's business, you know. I don't really share my personal life because I don't think I have to. And, and I don't think I have to sound shitty, but... No, but you, you've uh, treated it more like a sort of portfolio. Um, I wouldn't even think of it as portfolio. Like, I want to do pieces for myself every day anyway. It's just like a warm-up. Yeah. Really? Yeah. I, I mean, it started as I want to learn, and now it's become meditation. Sometimes I get antsy if I don't do something. Right. It's just nice. Like, you, you, you are doing something that benefits you in more ways than one and you're making time for it every day and sometimes it's really hard you know there was a I was doing the residency in Iceland with the light uh, light gray art labs and it was a really really tightly packed schedule and we were waking up at six and we were coming back at six maybe and then we had workshops till 11 11 30 sometimes and then I was doing these drawings and I also <laughs> So writing meditation on the mornings, I write three pages every morning. So I was doing the pages, I was doing the drawings, and then you want to socialize with people, but there's absolutely no time, you wow. know. And sometimes it sucks because you, it's, it's hard, but I think it's the kind of thing where you have to decide what you're putting into your life, and it just feels right to me. So How long do you dedicate to doing a piece? Uh, not very long, usually, but it depends on how much time I have. You know, if I have a day off, I'll probably spend more time. But like what, like an hour or two hours? No. <laughs> um, uh, it really depends because I keep changing the, the uh, tools I use. Mm-hmm. Digital things usually take 30 minutes to like 70 minutes maybe. Right, yeah. And then uh, traditional stuff even faster sometimes, but it depends on the complexity, you know. Yeah. For, for a while I was doing 30-second drawings and posting them. <laughs> oh, right, okay. So it's like even if it's just a sketch or something, you need to do it for yourself. I mean, yeah, because I think that's cool. Like, it, it may sound like a lazy uh, way to approach it. Oh, I'm just going to do a 30-second sketch. But it really trains your brain to do something you're not really used to doing, and that's kind of mm. what I'm after. Yeah. You know? It's just how can I approach this differently? Mm. Because it's fun. <laughs> and, mm. and some of the more interesting things I've done came out of those uh, as I made series. So I made a few that... I, I just wanted to make a mini series of and over the years those are the things that won a lot of illustration awards and other things and obviously not the commercial work so yeah 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 so that was really cool you know if if you get the kind of feedback that says yeah keep doing that you just keep doing it the the book that you like the art book you put out was that a direct result of those sketches or those like daily pieces of work. Uh, no, actually, I started doing those when I was uh, when I first started doing conventions, oh, okay. which became a way that people started to self-brand and you know advertise in LA because we do have a lot of conventions. Right? Do you, you know? do a lot of those then? Uh, not a whole lot of them. Uh, some people I know do more. Right. Or they used to, and then they change their mind. Mm. It, it's a lot of work. Yeah. You're, you're printing and it's costly and it's mm. super tiring and then there's the social tiring aspect of it and I don't know some of them are three four days long and you're talking from 10 till 5 and thousands of people are passing by and it's loud and you know it <laughs> generally your your approach is yeah this is going to be fun and it's fun but towards the end can it be profitable dead. doing those things it can it really depends on 
where you're going, what you're bringing. Yeah. And some people have this down to a T, mm. you know. Uh, they know which conventions are interested in what. And, yeah. you know, there's the CTN one that happens in November. Like yeah. I'd say that's something that doesn't, doesn't just happen to happen in L.A., but it happens there because of the animation industry. Yeah. So they have a lot of students come in because it's kind of turned into a job fair. Right, oh, okay. And so that's quite different from somewhere like Comic Con, which is yeah more like getting dressed up and that, hanging out. Yeah, yeah, totally different. Uh, Comic Con is a lot of <laughs> it's no longer comic people, you know, but people who want to dress up. Uh, a lot of general interest people, you know, people don't go there just for animation. They go for the TV show stuff, the games, mm. the comics. Sometimes, yeah, all, all sorts of things. There are different aisles for fantasy fiction artists and small press publishing and you know our old school um comic book like vintage comic collection and mm. then there's the warner brothers booth or whatever where they're just throwing out batman t-shirts and people are killing each other for it and <laughs> if you ever go please avoid those aisles because you guys deserve to live longer but it's crazy, man. People, people like topple over each other. It's very really? much like Black Friday, yeah. And I'm like, it's a Showtime t-shirt. Are you really going to wear it? Because you like <laughs> killed three children <laughs> in the process of trying to Lost catch an this eye. thing. Yeah. You are missing an arm. Like, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's, it's brutal, man. So, yeah, it, they're, they're all a force of their own to be reckoned with, for sure. Right, right, right. But yeah, some people get really into it. They build stands and you know, special things. I have a friend who does a lot of them and uh, a lot of people who, uh, again, this kind of comes back to the Instagram thing, I think. Mm. If you do things for, for one reason or another, if, you're, if your brand really caters to what's liked, whether you enjoy doing this kind of stuff and it mm. naturally is liked or you, you have an interest in being liked uh, for one reason or another. Yeah. And you keep doing it or you do everything and you know how to cater to the show that mm. you're going to. You can make a lot of money. I mean, you know, mm. um, for instance, my a person I table with is Elsa Chang. She's a friend yeah. of mine from uh, when I was taking a few classes at Art Center. And she's super talented character designer. She works in features a lot. And she is generally super into cute things like yeah. Her her natural reaction to it is a really high pitched sound that <laughs> look, like it just like she's that girl, you know. Yeah, yeah. But she's it's so authentic to her that it's not annoying, it's not weird, you know. It's, it's not it's, cynical, like it's yeah, it's it's not like she's being fake to be liked. You yeah, know? yeah. It's yeah. just exactly her character. She's obsessed with cats. So uh she has a bunch of cat things and people go crazy because you know, yeah. cats. Yeah. So if there's <laughs> yeah. one thing the internet has taught us, it's the Cat. fact that cats are a thing. It's yeah. very much a thing. Yeah, definitely. So, you know, for instance, uh, it's not just because of the cats, but, you know, she, yeah. she makes really lovely things that are very cute and likable and people, yeah. people are just crazy about it. Right. And I'm always the person who's printing really weird stuff and I'm like, okay, cool. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't care if you buy it, but, but you, make it is, anyway. is that the girl you did a book with? Yeah, the yeah. first one we did together because yeah, we were yeah. like, we're, we don't know how to do this. Let's do it together. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Yeah, it was really fun. She's, uh, she's very dependable, which was cool. Yeah. Yeah. And um, because people 
tend to come to these things yearly. So many people come and they're like, what do you have this new? Oh, have you been lazy? And you're like, what? <laughs> right. uh, there's a lot of judgment from the other side. You can't really uh, respond back to, oh reply to. But uh, I try to make something new every year. And mm. so all that stuff. Do you still do them then? Uh, sometimes. Uh, we, you know, we've been doing them together for so long and she does them repeatedly that I just kind of go along with it at this point. Yeah, but yeah. Um, more and more it's become really hard for me to necessarily drop a day or two of work and go and yeah uh you know the prep prep for all of this stuff is quite heavy it doesn't yeah. seem like it but you know you no, have to yeah, prepare a lot of stuff so yeah. um i don't know i'm I, I would still make books and everything but um yeah it's it's kind of great you come face to face with people which you usually don't and not in a facing your enemy sort of way quite no, the contrary not, yeah yeah, like how often you guys make amazing stuff, but how often do you come face to face with people who like actively follow you? Like a whole room of people who are who mm. are all about the thing that you're doing. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Never. I mean, <laughs> unless we throw it for ourselves. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we've done a couple of events where we've uh, where we've invited people to come to the launch of a film or whatever, and I guess that's the only time that we really get to be, uh, meet people who know our work or have any familiarity with what we do. And then the rest of the time, like, we went to Comic-Con, the London Comic-Con last year. Was it last year? Yes. Yeah. It's last summer. Is it really big? Last summer. It's really big. It's really, yeah. really big. It's not like the San Diego one, but it's really, really big. I'd and imagine. literally nobody yeah. gave a shit for three days. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> yeah. Uh. So we were kind of... It was really good that we were there with these guys, No Ghost, who did a, the VR game of Ninja Rabbit. So they... They were there and they were basically offering people to play this VR game for free. So there was a constantly a queue of people waiting to play mm. the VR. And then we were just kind of in the back going, do you want a comic? And everyone was like, what the fuck's this? <laughs> Why would I want one? <laughs> do you want to buy a T-shirt for a thing you've never heard of? Uh, yeah. <laughs> nah, we're well, all right, mate. Oh, man. Yeah. But, um, but I think that's that thing of, you know, like just sticking at it. I think maybe mm-hmm. that's um, one thing that I've learned about sort of the Instagram stuff and social media is you do it for long enough you'll get a certain amount of, of following like how long have you been doing instagram for uh a few years probably mm. i think it came to the uk later than it did to america instagram really? yeah like oh I it didn't actually it. launch well i think it was you know you could get it anywhere but i just think it didn't become popular over here well, one of the long. funny things is i in the beginning instagram i, I was like oh this is just going to be a personal thing i'm not going to mm. put any work on it so if you go back all to all the way to the beginning, oh, really? it's all just personal stuff. Yeah. And then I was too lazy to delete them. And uh, it, it pretty much, and it's shameful stuff. Like in the very beginning, there's like pictures of food. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, everyone's got er, Early, Instagram. early Instagram. I'm, yeah. I'm one of many. Yeah. Uh, really heavily filtered. I didn't no, understand. It's not it. that oh, bad. Okay. Come on. I remember Roly was the first person I saw using it and he was like, oh, I'm posting this thing. Like, like, what do you think about this filter and that filter? And he was like, I'm not sure about the colors. And I was like, oh, why don't you just download it, take it into Photoshop, like get like what you want and then post it. And he's like, nah, you don't understand. You just, you have to pick a filter. And I was like, what the fuck is this stupid <laughs> shit? Like, I just was like, I didn't understand it. And yeah. Yeah. Fast forward two years, two, three just years. all yeah. over it. Just Actually, the thing watching that twerking made me, videos. The thing that made me go on to Instagram was the Inktober stuff. The what? Uh... So in, during oh, the month October, of right. yeah, October, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, Jake Parker started this thing where you do right. an ink drawing a day. Before I was posting them on 
Facebook and stuff. And <laughs> Have you got a big following on Facebook? Not as much as Instagram. Yeah. And I think part of that is the fact that it doesn't go to many people, but I also stopped for a while. And I always imagine it must be quite daunting, like coming out of university and trying to set up as either an illustrator or a concept artist or a visual development artist or whatever it is. <laughs> like whatever you are. <laughs> <laughs> Drawer. Because Maverick. Because I kind of feel like with an animator, it's like, you know, there's like a very specific skill set you have and you send your portfolio to people and they're like, oh, this guy can do Maya or this guy can do, mm. you know, whatever it is, 3D Studio Max or whatever your skill set is. Whereas I kind of feel like with concept art, it's a little bit more roundabout, like how you get hired to things. It's more like mm. people have seen your work online somewhere and they're like, oh, I think this person might be suitable for this job a little bit more. It's a little bit less commodified and a little bit more kind of personal. That's you know what I mean? true. I could be wrong. I mean, to some extent that's true, but I'd say there is a different equivalent of this in animation too. I mean, you look at people's animation, you don't immediately know how long it took them to do it, you know? Some people are very good at taking student work where, you know, they had some help mm, and mm. it is their work in the yeah, end, but you yeah. don't know if it took them three years or a week to do that. I've heard a lot of people who do these online courses, like... Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this happened a lot after Animation Mentor and stuff yeah. became popular. In, in LA, you started getting a lot of people who had interesting things in their reels and when you plug them into a job, it's just such a different, you know, it's, it's a different pace. And especially commercials, as you mm. know. Um, it was interesting. It wasn't always about your Instagram following. I mean, I graduated in 09 and I started working in uh, the summer of 07, I think. Yeah, can we talk, talk a little bit about, sorry to interrupt, but like about you starting <laughs> to work in, in America because you're from Turkey, right? Yes. Uh, it was interesting. I went to college there. And when you're in school, you have one... Is that, did your family move over there? No, I was oh, there. Oh, really? Yeah, oh, I was sick. There just bye really that's yeah. bold man <laughs> it was it, we have a very interesting family okay and they're very open-minded and uh i actually studied high school in a different city so i moved out i think i was 14 and then so when i was 18 i moved to la and that wasn't as bad as just yeah straight up moving from home to yeah. a different continent you know <laughs> wow <laughs> slightly easier but they do give you when you're in school there uh, two opportunities. One of them is kind of a little bit shorter and you can do this internship type of thing. It has to be in your area. It cannot be some random thing. And the other one is they give you about a year after you graduate to work and gain some experience. It's not with the intention to stay, but right. to actually, um, uh, you know, get some experience before you go back. Right. Within that year, I got hired at Sony, Sony yeah. Pictures Animation. They mm -hmm. got me visa and... Um, after I was done there, uh, I already had the intention because I had been, you know, interning and working and networking. So uh, I had a bunch of people and we were working together already. And I had two partners and we started a company. We intended to do this anyway. And it, it, in the States, it's really common for you to kind of be an entity as opposed to, you know, that's what I mean by company, not like I hired 15 staffers and yeah. <laughs> I was running. Like it, it's not even like you guys where you guys are, you guys and a few other people and then you probably yeah. hire them up. It wasn't like that. We weren't running our own productions. Yeah, that's what we're like. <laughs> Come on, you guys run full jobs out of here. What was your company called? Uh, Fringers. 
What? It's <laughs> fringes. <laughs> yeah, it's not a word. Um, it was super embarrassing. I bet you didn't have to fight to get that website domain. <laughs> no, but no, but that helped. You know, yeah, I didn't have yeah. to pay all that much. It's a song by a band I liked at the time. Yeah. Um, sorry, an album name. Yeah, okay. Fringes. And it was uh, they they mashed up because they're non-native speakers in English. They they mashed up friends and strangers to make okay. this word, and they describe it as. I guess meeting somebody you're strangers with and uh, oh, right. the the kind of immediate friendship you oh, kind fringes. of create. Yeah, I like it. And I'm like, oh, like industry people feel like this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you it's know? nice. Yeah, it was, it's just something nobody understands. Yeah. Perfect. I'm terrible at naming things. No, I like that. Yeah. yeah. Are you allowed to start a company as a non-US citizen? There's all sorts of things that go into it. It depends on the type of company you start. I don't know. You probably can't start most of them by yourself. Yeah. Unless you are investing a lot. I, I don't really, really know the technical details. Did you have to invest any money in starting it? No. I mean, I already had clients um, because I had been working. Mm-hmm. And we had partners. So it's not you know a bunch of foreigners or one yeah. foreigner doing it by herself and yeah i mean it was a legit company like it wasn't some weird thing um where i'm just like a solo behind the curtain shadowy yeah. person yeah yeah so you know it looked right and i guess it was enough yeah and so we've had that company for a while now and uh i have been are you still that that part of that company well it just makes more sense to work that way in the motion business but uh, animation companies hate it. <laughs> the uh, feature companies hate it because they want to put you on a full-time thing. Uh, okay, but so you they, know, ha- if they you're have foreign, to employ you through the company. Uh, I, I try to make it so because otherwise they have to get a visa and it's a little bit more mm. complicated. And, um, you know, in the States, it's especially in California, people are pretty used to working with other companies, you know. Even yeah. if you work for a feature company, it's not like they've never worked with an independent contractor. So. Mm. Um, usually it's pretty smooth and if you have your shit together it doesn't look weird and And how was the green card process was that a difficult thing to get it was kind of random actually Uh, I had an 01 visa which is now we're getting into weird American immigration stuff I think this is interesting to a lot of people because (laughs) because they want to go yeah well I hope it uh, serves I I sort of of imagine that like as particularly someone from Europe or this side like be very difficult to go and work in america and particularly as a young freelancer like um it's not very straightforward i mean i I think in a lot of ways there's a lot of benefits too there are a lot of benefits now i'm gonna police my own language (laughs) uh there are a lot of benefits to going full-time at a company and i don't necessarily think it's just because of your career but also uh it's great socially and all this Mm. other stuff um Mine was kind of, you know, I like the version of the story you guys are telling where I'm just super badass. <laughs> but <laughs> I, I also graduated in 09, which was about a year after the financial crisis. And for the first year, I think animation companies did well. But by the time I was getting ready to graduate, all the things that they used to do pretty much went into regression. So people stopped. There was a hiring freeze at almost every animation company. They were laying, starting to lay people off. You know, this, this is something that happens often now, but back mm. then it was unheard of. That was kind of the beginning of, oh, we don't do long contracts anymore. We don't do all this stuff. 
So I think it's changed the animation industry in an irreversible way. And I think it's negative because, yeah, companies tend to get their way and that's great for them. But it changed the inner... Um, the, the inner company feeling of every mm. every place. People who get into places no longer have any kind of guarantee that they're going to keep their job. And, right. you know, there used to be just such a... People getting into, say, Disney felt really secure and they knew that they would be there for a long time. And mm. I don't know how much of it was the same for the London equivalent, the, the, the bigger companies, but there is a very strong mentorship uh, culture in feature companies in the States. I mean, when I started at Sony, even before I started at Sony, uh, my my uh, superiors in the company, artists, they were looking out for me. They were like, oh, you can do this, you can do this. Like, they kind of hold your hand, not necessarily through every single drawing, which, you know, they will always give you advice and they will always help you. But there's usually one or two people that take personal interest in making sure that you're all right. Or mm. sometimes you'll be given as a mentee to someone and, you know... It's very much the apprenticeship thing. Mm, that's nice. It's so nice because you get people giving you life advice and they give you advice about dealing with an art career and life. Mm. And I don't know. It's it's just so wonderful. Some of those people I'm still in touch with. And uh, I just sent one of them a handmade card because he does that. And he sent me one years oh, ago. Really? And I was like, hey, <laughs> yeah, that's nice. here's one. You know, Yeah. And, and it's not by coincidence. I mean, they were... The, the, for instance, the person who was so, so, so... One of the people who were, who were so wonderfully helpful to me was Marcelo Vignali. He is at Sony, but he was at Disney for a really long time, you know? And they were brought up that way. If you went into Disney, you were someone's apprentice, and it was someone amazing, you know, for the most part. Yeah, yeah. You know, Brad Bird was an apprentice, yeah. which is why I think when he was in Iron Man, he brought in a few people to be his apprentice. Right, right, right. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's an ongoing tradition and it's so friendly and it's so nice and like as you're saying, I don't think uh, animation is like all the other industries where, yeah, you, yeah. where you come yeah. across the same kind of... Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's way more friendlier. Yeah, it's amazing. But I think the, you know, we're just going to make you work from home for six months while it creates new job opportunities for people overseas and mm. in its own right, it's wonderful that it allows all this. There are also many, um, many situations where somebody in the same city is contracted for just a few months and then they're let go and I don't know, it's, it's, I, things have changed forever. Mm. Anyway, coming yeah. back to the question itself, when I graduated, I was talking to older recruiters, I was talking to Pixar, and I was talking to Disney and all this other stuff. But there weren't a whole lot of people hired when I graduated. So mm. for the first year, like the two previous years, um, I kept applying for animation visa jobs. But I also worked in features. Uh, sorry, not... <laughs> I also worked in advertising. Yeah. And, and in motion companies and... That gave me so many skills I never thought I was going to, you know, (laughs) develop. So then I had the visual development job at Sony and I quickly became obvious that that wasn't the right thing for me. Mm. It just didn't feel like a good fit for uh, the kind of stuff I'm actually better at. And, you know, a typical visual development job, kind of going back to the hollowing of the terms situation a lot of it, like 90% of it, is making model packs and designing details of things. And it's very much like 
the concept art thing, thing I was explaining. Somebody has to design every little thing because it's going to get built. So a lot of the people are mostly working on this stuff throughout the production of the film, which is years sometimes. And yeah, in the beginning, a number of people do get to do really blue sky stuff. And yeah, and then there is still painting, so you could do surfacing and other things. There's a lot of still very creative work that goes into it, but it's not just making cute little paintings and calling it visual mm. development, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and I think uh, right around my time and following when I graduated a few years later, there was a huge burst of people just being like, I'm going to do visual development. And, mm. and, you know, I've had people bring me portfolios where it was just beautiful editorial work. And I'm like, um, like you know, if you really do want to work in animation, this isn't the work VizDev does. Like, you should look into it because there's now all these resources, right? There's books mm. and mm. internet and... Those were still pretty limited when I was graduating. Yeah. Uh, not everybody was on the internet. There weren't books for every single thing. And mm. It was still a little bit more opaque. and mm. Yeah. Like, so it's become very much fending for yourself as opposed to before. Yeah. You would get into somewhere and there'd be a little bit more of a community feeling. And, right, right. Uh, so I think that's why I, I, I first tasted the independence and going into a company full time. Yeah. As, uh, you know, a production artist was interesting and fun and it was surround, being surrounded by a lot of really wonderful people, but mm. I couldn't see myself doing that for a really long time. Personally, I didn't find it sustainable, you know? Yeah. So you thought you're going to go for the freelance thing and you, was, and you just made it work logistically? Yeah. I mean, more or less. <laughs> How... How how much of a struggle was it to to kind of navigate through? It's a pain. Yeah, <laughs> you um, get used to it, but even then, it's a pain. <laughs> was there any other time? Was there any periods where you thought like, "Oh, I'm probably gonna have to leave America"? Um, I mean, getting kind of personal about that, I didn't necessarily think there was much of an option to go back. Right. You know, I have family back home, but. It was an interesting moment. My parents were divorcing and all this other mm. stuff was happening back there. And moreover, working in animation there didn't really seem to be as much of an opportunity to mm -hmm. find jobs and do what I want to do. I mean, it would be ironic to leave a studio job to go to a country where, you know, most of the jobs I wanted did not exist anyway. Yeah, I mean, I suppose it would have been just as hard to work here because Turkey isn't part of the... European Union. Exactly. Oh, well, so, we're yeah. not either anymore. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> I think it will still be easier for a British citizen to go yeah. somewhere in the, in the uh, Schengen states, yeah. though. Everybody right. looks at me and go, uh, they go, what's a Schengen state? And I'm like, ah, your American passport and you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, it, w it was going to be as hard yeah. to come here as it yeah. would be to go to states. And, yeah. and, and I already had people I was working with there. So yeah, yeah. Yeah, it just seemed like a better option to try to stay. And I think it's one of those weird things. There was a really great interview, super sidetracked here. There was a really great interview with um uh one of one of my favorite fashion designers. And it's it was very much about her life. And she was born to a family that was in the concentration camps and all the stuff in her life is, you know, she wasn't supposed to exist Who's basically. That? Um um, Diane von Furstenberg. Okay, right. Yeah, right. sorry. Yeah. 
she's she's like such an inspiration. Yeah. Uh, anyway, she's very impressive. But she talks about in this interview how um, failure is not an option. When mm. failure is not an option, you find a way. Yeah, you know? yeah. And for one way, for one reason or another, I think that works well. Mm. I don't know if it works well as a lifestyle, but it works well when you have something that you really want to achieve. So you were just like, there's no way I'm not doing this. And that was that. I was insanely driven. Um, so you are a badass. <laughs> no, no. Like, <sighs> looking <say> back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Stop. <laughs> oh, man. Um, it's, it's, it's weird. I, I, I think retrospectively and, and often when I do, I find myself thinking that wasn't the best, that wasn't the ideal way or the, the smartest way to mm. necessarily spend my college years or the years following, you know, it was, it was so obsessed with, I'm going to make this work mm-hmm. that even though, you know, I did other things too. I wasn't like the person who never socialized or anything. I just didn't sleep. I had this <laughs> incredible ability to not sleep for like days, you know. Seriously? Yeah. I just like, I don't know how that was physically possible because I look back now and... You would literally not sleep for like a few days. I, there was... So my graduating year, yeah. I, I was... I had a mentor at Art Center. I had two mentors at Art Center. And I was taking three studio courses there, 18 credits at Otis. And I was doing my senior thesis. I was um, in charge of putting uh, all the concept artists' floor show together. Mm -hmm. Like I was supposed to organize it. And (laughs) I was doing all my stuff at school. And I was doing all the homework for the studio classes at Art Center. They're all like five hours long. (laughs) You know? And my school is like an hour away at least from Pasadena. So Jesus. not only was I not sleeping, but I was driving and it's dangerous, you know, I shouldn't have been doing all that. Fuck. But the the last week of the first first term, there was a time when I only slept 30 minutes for like six days, like 30 minutes each day for six days. Oh my God. Yeah. And, and I was like, oh, like if I leave now, I can get to Pasadena early and I can sleep in the parking lot for an hour and a half and I'll text someone. So they wake me up when they're going into class. You know, I started having classmates at our center. It was just crazy, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, and I remember <laughs> that day really clearly because like I had lost files and I had to repaint, like paint till the morning. And then, uh, you know, LA has crazy traffic, but mm. I thought leaving at four or 5 a.m. would be okay. And for whatever reason, the freeway was completely stopped and blocked. So I'm in the car. I had like, it's the worst situation is not having something to do when you're that tired, you know? Yeah. I can focus and forget that I'm tired, but if nothing is happening, yeah, yeah. You just start dozing off, and it was it was the worst. Like we were there for two hours. I I just, I eventually made it to oh class on time, but God. no time to sleep. I don't know. Like now, when I don't sleep, or when I just start it starts. Uh, yeah. I can't do it. I can't do it anymore. Do you sleep? What's your sleeping like now? I mean, that sounds like such a weird, creepy, weird, <laughs> pointless question. But but like, are you someone who just? <laughs> What, what do you wear when you uh, no uh, but like are you someone who can just they're calling me I have yeah, to yeah. no but there's some people who they can just sleep for four hours and that's all they need really or or five hours or whatever but like, are you someone who doesn't need a lot of sleep to operate will you I mean this is kind of what I mean even if you can survive without sleep you shouldn't be doing that no <laughs> you know? no but some people can yeah. like literally just have yeah. five hours sleep and that's all they need. Five hours is a good functioning amount of time for me. Like five really? hours I can function really well, but it's very LA, but um, 
you do when when you do start paying attention to your general well-being <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you start making different decisions i mean i realized that because i was so like it, it felt like life or death to me whether i was going to get to stay or not yeah 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 <laughs> you know um i felt like i had made too many sacrifices and it has to do with family and all this other stuff mm. but <clears throat> i had convinced myself it was life or death mm. so uh later i realized especially psychologically that's a really messed up way to live for like four years five five six years you know you did that for five or six years well four years of school right and then you work for another year and it probably took me a long time to just kind of realize oh wait like, I, I don't sleep. have to do this i can have a little kip yeah it's like oh i figured this out i don't i mean life always throws things at you so mm. if you tend to stress yourself out to do better yeah you can and and it works really well in america because mm. the society really uh, responds well to you know oh this is a hard working person yeah. who's made their dream come true it's the american dream thing yeah, right yeah, yeah, yeah. oh this person came with nothing and yeah. you know this is my story is that i showed up with two suitcases and, yeah you know here mm. i am no it's amazing it's really inspiring and I have a huge amount of admiration of you as someone oh. who likes to sleep 12 hours a day. <laughs> Dude, uh, I mean, what is it all about in the end? I mean, being 17 or starting college and having really wild dreams, it feels like that's what life is about, you know? Yeah. And I think what I keep coming back to and saying, you know, that is that a way to live life? Is that really a plausible, yeah. logical way to live life? Mm. It has very much to do with, I think, really understanding what life is about for yourself and... Mm that version of myself when I look back at me back then kind of missed a lot of things you know I think I was probably very self-absorbed because you know when you're like really driven to achieve something not only do you get used to ignoring your own self but you do ignore other people too and mm. you know I could have learned different things but all in all no regrets you know you can't look back and be like I should have done something else mm. yeah, yeah, yeah yeah I'm happy with everything that I've done and I've accepted the things that I'm not happy about. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I still get to make that decision now if I want to sleep or if I want to take good care of myself. And yeah, yeah. I think that's the time to really look at it. But I do find that out there, there is a little bit of a blindness and it it's a bigger conversation than this perhaps, but it goes back to art education and how the schools are set up and what they're really preparing people for or mm. really not preparing people for, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. And I do think a lot of people go into it. It's easy to have like a silly dream and silly in the best way possible, mm. but not really understanding what you're asking for, or what not understanding what your dream really is because mm. you just feel comfortable putting some kind of name to it that seems okay, mm -hmm. you know? Oh, like I'm going to be... Uh, an animator or mm. and then sometimes you become that and it's wonderful and you love it mm. or sometimes you're like oh I'm going to be a fashion designer but then you like get into it and you're like what am I doing like yeah, yeah, this yeah. isn't really the thing that all my creativity or all my ambition was about you yeah. know yeah. so where do you go from there? there there was a really big moment in my life when I did visual development I was 22 or 21 or 22 and I was like oh this is like I've been coming here full speed for so long and it's not what I expected it yeah. to be it just really felt like hitting a wall yeah. in what way wasn't it what you expected it to be 
Um, well, day to day wasn't as enjoyable as I thought it was going to be, which is one thing. But also, I really like telling stories, and I didn't realize that it was about stories at the time. I thought it was about the drawing only, and I love drawing, you know. But uh, and I, I came into a very stressful production and didn't, you know, all the things that animation companies are advertised to be from the outside, the bigger ones especially, tend to leave out the more gruesome details of how mm. a production goes and what you really have to do and what kind of responsibilities you really have. So I feel like it's not so much, oh, I didn't like my responsibilities and I hate this, but, you know, I found people looking at their lives in a changing industry and perhaps for them I was wondering or perhaps they were wondering themselves if this is sustainable or where they were going to go from here. And I found myself thinking, that is a question that if I stay here, I'm going to have to ask myself. And I didn't like the answers I found. So it was mostly that, you know. I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, we, I was having a conversation earlier on today, like somebody was saying, oh yeah, we need to hire in interns because everybody's lost hope. <laughs> and we mean? need some people who've... Uh, who've still got the, you know, the drive and the kind of, they don't quite know what they're getting themselves in for and therefore they're still you enthusiastic mean jaded. about you it. You mean everybody else is jaded? Yeah, I guess so, to some extent. Like, I think with mm. projects that we've done, like, if I'd really known what I was taking on, I might have thought twice about doing it, but because I didn't, it was just exciting. I agree completely. I mean, if I knew exactly what I was getting into when I was coming from Turkey, or if I had really, as a logical person calculated the risk to success like ratio of what was going to happen I probably would have scared myself off mm. I have the best and worst parents in the sense that they just blindly believe that I can do anything you know that's wicked I mean they're great they're wonderful um and and it's the kind of parent you want to have I think but still it's funny because um, if it doesn't go well with your personality, you could easily find yourself being like, what? Mm. Um, what, what did I do? You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah I, I think it, it's, you know, when I look back, I'm like, oh, is it crazy to come here and just be like, I'm going to work and I'm going to do it the way I want to do it and not going to have it any other way. It's insane. You know, <laughs> there's, <laughs> uh, it, it, do you have brothers and sisters? I have an older brother and I have a baby half brother. Okay. And how, uh, your parents look at them in the same way is that like a I think so thing? I right, think yeah. a little bit but so far everybody's done well so I don't maybe it's the parenting and mm, maybe yeah. it's because we're maybe that's crazy not people. such a bad way to be <laughs> yeah <laughs> well I mean there's two great of a you know it, it's wonderful that they really believe in you but then there's also the part of it where have you really been prepared for what you're going to take on mm. and I think mine was just pure ambition mm. and and people thought I was really competitive Mm. you know in a I need to be better than you sort of way mm. Mm. and I didn't get it at the time mm. <laughs> like that it would maybe come off as kind of like a competitive weird thing do you think you were competitive or was it just no because I, I really didn't care if somebody else did better than me it was really more uh I knew that I had to go out of my school to look for certain skill sets and so I was doing these crazy things you know I was taking classes in another school and I was finding these mentors and you know, people thought it was really excessive. Why is this person working day and night? And, and I think because I 
I'm a person who doesn't tend to explain herself or bother with that very much. <laughs> I've learned a little bit to, to curb that. But it just seemed like I was an insane human being. Mm. Like nobody understood the thing behind the drive, but it's also because nobody else had to come from another country. And, yeah. you know, mm. I just thought it was obvious <laughs> it mm. wasn't. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> um, so it's actually kind of funny because you meet people again after college. Do you meet other people who have that similar thing? Like they've come from other countries and they've got the same kind of drive? Because there are a bunch of people from different countries working in the animation industry in Los yeah. Angeles, I imagine. There's a lot of people. People come from everywhere all the time. But sometimes in different ways. A lot of people do come for school and some people... People weren't at times, not everyone was as obsessed as I was. Right. I mean, you know, like I, I was reaching out to people who have done this stuff before I even knew if it was possible and being like, who's your lawyer? Who can I talk to? Do you have a business advisor? How'd you set this thing up? What are the things that require you to get this? Mm. And the States kind of has a very ruthless um, feeling of you are the person responsible for educating yourself. Like you have to figure out all this stuff. Uh, it's impossible to understand from books. The the codes, like the business and tax codes and stuff, don't make any sense. And you have to figure it out for yourself. So, you know, I sometimes get people who reach out to me and ask, you know, how do you do all this stuff? And to some extent, I know what I have done, but I don't know everything. And, you know, I, yeah, at the time I made maybe when I was first graduating or even before I called all these business people and I had a business lawyer and I had an immigration lawyer and all this other stuff and it's super costly and I was like, okay. How was you how, affording all this stuff? Huh? How was you affording all this stuff? Working, just like a dog, basically. <laughs> but, you know, um, it's always an investment thing. Like, is this really worth it? Is it worth making this money and giving it all away mm. so I can stay? And the answer was yes. So yes, okay, I'm going to work. It just, again, like failure is not an option is mm. a very ruthless policy too. So it's the only thing yeah, that yeah. really survives a place that demands you to know exactly what you're doing, even if you're not from that country. Mm. But uh, kind of similar to reaching out to people I don't know in a, in mm. a city I'm visiting. It's just like, okay, I'm going to email this person and see if they pick up. And if they don't, I'm going to find another person, you know? It's, it really divides your attention. Mm. When I think about it, would I love to be an artist who could just draw and be like, oh, I don't know how to do this stuff. And, you know, it would be absolutely fantastic. And mm. I'd love to do that. But given that Turkey didn't really offer these options and in the States I had to figure it out, I was just like, cool, that, that's what I'll do then. Yeah, <laughs> no, it's, it's super inspiring. It really is. Like, it's really easy to talk yourself out of science because you're not sure about how you can go about doing it and the potential stress around it and just to hear you, that, that level of achievement is just like dude it's a little bit of stupidity too I mean it's just being like I can yeah, probably, probably yeah. do it right like okay I'm gonna do it <laughs> yeah yeah there, I mean maybe but it's not but at the same time you wasn't you didn't just turn turn up and go I'm just gonna wing it and like not try and do anything and, and then get like found out to not have a visa and be working illegally and get mm. kicked out. Like you was, you was like, okay, I'm not sure I'm gonna do it, but you looked into how to do it and you achieved it and you're doing it. You know. Well, it's and now you have a green card. I do have one now. <laughs> so, but that one came about as a surprise. I had an ability-based visa, so there's like work visas are different kinds, and there's one where if you have 
certain achievements you can show, they can possibly give you a different visa. And I ended up uh, winning an award that I didn't know would qualify me for the green card version because they want you to be really well-known internationally and stuff. And I'm like, I'm not. So, <laughs> but there was this illustration competition and when I was talking to my lawyer, being like, okay, we're gonna, I'm, I'm this person. I'm like everyone, everyone's nightmare. Like my lawyer hates me and loves me at the same time. Because I'll be like, okay, there's exactly a year for my visa to expire. I'm going to meet you tomorrow. Like, we have to put a, a meeting together. So I have to figure out exactly what I need to do and how much it's going to cost. So I'm the person who like actually goes over there and demands a long meeting. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to make a list, like mm. the, the, the bullet, uh, bullet point. Mm. And then I'm going to spend the next year trying to qualify for as much of, it, mm. uh, much of this as I can. And it's a thing they appreciate because it makes their life easier. Yeah. But it's also like you're just constantly emailing them and asking questions and they're like, ah. <laughs> yeah, no, but I mean, it's not, uh, you know, getting back to what you were saying is stupidity. <laughs> that doesn't sound like someone who's stupid. No, that sounds like someone who's very calculating, you know. But being like, oh, I can do it. Like there's a, there's a level of blind faith. You know? But you can do it. <laughs> Sometimes you can. Yeah. Sometimes you can't, maybe. USA. You what? I'm Turkish. That's <laughs> just the American dream, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Sum it all up. Yeah. And people ask me if American dreams are real thing sometimes, and I'm like, not exactly, but there's also some weird magical part of it where. And you start just whistling the American national anthem as you walk away. <laughs> it's just like a magical part of it. Whereas if you, if you go to America and you're willing to not sleep for six years and spend all your money on lawyers, like you can do it, guys. <laughs> yeah. But sometimes it's easier, I promise. <laughs> I just want to talk about something that we talked about really briefly the, the other night where we were out drinking. She was like being a female in the animation industry. Mm. And like, obviously, there's a massive, a massively disproportionate amount of men to women. Like, mm. how, how do you find that? Do you, and, and sort of what advice would you give to girls who are just getting started in animation right now? Mm, this is an interesting subject. Sorry, I mean, maybe this is like a bit of an open-ended question to no, throw at you no, like no, right at the end. It's fine, but um, I don't think it's the same experience everywhere and I don't think it's the same experience for every part of the job. So um, in the States, especially in LA, a lot of producers are female. A lot of women are uh, producers. I shouldn't say female, maybe. Um, and... There are a lot of artists coming coming up now more so than ever. I think in animation, a lot of the better designers are women, actually. Mm. I, I shouldn't say that. There's, of course, wonderful dudes who design better than anybody, certain things in their own style. But there's just really, really amazing women. Mm. Uh, a lot of women color stylists, a lot of women character designers. Mm. When it comes to animation and animating, I think there's less female animators as they'd put it but I don't think that necessarily has to be a problem the the places where this has become a problem is where the atmosphere is hostile without really knowing it so there are some places there was one visual effects company where I was one of two women who was in the entire building and it was a very large company really yeah oh sorry three one of them was a receptionist girl and um, uh, one of them was a producer, and I was the third person. And it felt like walking into a lion's den because <laughs> um, the culture of visual effects is much more cutthroat. Like it's 
everybody is on the edge all the time. Mm. And, you know, money's run out yeah. and, you know, delivery is really there. And I don't know if that necessarily brings out a hostility or not, but, you know, there really isn't a welcoming atmosphere. You don't walk in there feeling like, oh, I can just act like myself. Yeah. While nobody at that place came and said anything strange or made me feel uncomfortable, I still felt uncomfortable. Mm. And then there are places where there can be a lot of dudes, but I, I find that if there are a lot of directors and art directors who are women and high level, like if an EP is a very outspoken woman, especially, you get a very women friendly atmosphere. Hmm. You know, this comes kind of down to attire. Like, how do you dress yourself? How do you show up? And how do you present yourself? The politics of all of this is very different in the States than what I've kind of seen in the UK. I think here people seem to be, like women seem to be a lot more feminine. Women seem more comfortable being feminine in the workplace, which is really cool. In London. In London. But um, that doesn't mean there isn't some kind of covert sexism. It's not so outspoken, maybe. But I, I see that too. Because, you know, it's, it's not something I look at, um, I, I, I try to pay attention to, but it naturally is. Being from a family where nobody tells you, like, being a girl is any less than being a dude, you know. If anything, like, they're so proud of it. And go, being, living in a country for so long where uh, you are very much like, you can't treat me differently, even though you will. <laughs> um, I find that, women act like themselves when there's other powerful, outspoken women in, in the same room. Not outspoken in a, in a loud, aggressive sort of way. Outspoken as in, if some other woman uh, get stepped all over, they will be like, that's not cool. And they will correct it. Or, you know, if other men seem to do this, if other men seem to be as aware of their right to speak and their, um, the value of their opinions and talent the way that they are of other other guys there's a very friendly atmosphere and it really doesn't matter that you're a woman uh if you're a woman or not there are a lot of places that think they're not sexist but they definitely are and mm. some of the, these places i love working with like 99 of the studio mm. and they're like it's so often i will go to many meetings where i'll say something in in an open meeting where we're trying to figure out what the pitch is going to be about and I'll bring in the references and I'll bring in uh, the ideas and it will not be heard until somebody else who's a dude repeats it. Mm. It will not be heard until the person who is maybe the EP or the um, uh, creative director or whoever says, oh, my idea, blah, 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 is a good idea. And you're like, mm. And, you know, there is a strangeness to when you go and say you can't constantly be like actually that's my idea mm. because it happens so often that you look crazy yeah, yeah, yeah. and there already is a stigma so yeah. um there's that and then in features there's just complete violation of you know um rules of you know should a director who's like 40 ask every girl who comes in uh, at age 20 out and does he really not understand there's a power dynamic at place if he's a director and these people are coming in as interns or you know entry big, like level level uh, workers I've, I've, have, I've received an email from a company owner of a, um, of a motion company saying that we should have breakfast 
like Thanksgiving Day morning. And I was like, no, I will come into the studio to have a proper meeting with you if you make your assistant set one up with me if you want to talk about business. Like, what the hell leads you to believe? And, and, and yeah. I'm kind of like the kind of person who doesn't just kind of smile and walk away from yeah, this yeah. kind of stuff. Like, if yeah. you talk to me, it's pretty obvious mm. that, like, you know, be like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I've seen creepy stuff happen all the time. I know weird things that happen in companies and it, that people look the other way because sadly, even though it's a really large industry, you will not come out of it okay if you say, this person's harassing me. If really? Person, yeah, you will not I be... there's a lot of... I don't know, maybe it's just like media or whatever, but you always hear about like people sort of kicking off about you know sexual harassment and stuff like that. There is training in every company if you go in, the larger ones, but I... I, you know, it doesn't really apply to the practical life of it. But I do think it's been getting better compared to before. I mean, I think there's a long way to go, but I think there's a long way to go in general when it comes to taking women seriously mm. and, and realizing that gender really shouldn't matter and, you know, uh, not in a creative position like this. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah. You know, I'm very lucky for the most part that I've, um, for the most part, whenever I was in charge of things or whenever I worked with other people, they didn't really make me feel like I'm outside of the team. Mm. And part of it becomes cultural, you know. There's obviously things in the American culture that exclude women and that's okay. I was talking to this really wonderful financial advisor on the flight over here from Turkey and she's very top power lady you know and uh she told me in the 80s when she was working in finance in new york it was so aggressive that uh she would sometimes have to go into the men's room where they would have these like let's leave her out of the conversation meetings and she'd be like you're not kicking me out of this conversation i'm not having it. i don't give two fucks like <laughs> she's going to i belong thing. here like she she would burst into the men's room because it was like a really like people would harass women all the time and it was totally okay and all this other stuff so it feels like it should be a lot more civil but considering how young gender equality as a concept it really is mm. it's not necessarily surprising that it's not grounded mm. so for women uh, who are going into the industry any any industry not necessarily just creative i think it's good if you can stand up for each other because mm. it's harder to say that was my idea it's not yours yeah but it is very easy for somebody next to you doesn't have to be a woman <laughs> for the ne person next to you to say hey yeah that is a great idea and this person brought it up yeah i'm glad you like it or whatever it is that you're yeah, saying yeah, yeah. you know so you can do that it isn't patting yourself on the back because you know um it's not considered okay for women to pat themselves on the back generally like um socially it's, it's just kind of a weird thing i i i think it's becoming better and better and i have a lot of hope <laughs> and yeah. and a lot of my experiences have been wonderful but mm. i will not turn a blind eye and i will not pretend that it doesn't happen because it definitely does mm. if it's happened to me this many times it's happened to other people very many yeah, many, yeah. many more times you know so it's yeah i think if more people talked about it it would be easier which mm. is why at the risk of sounding like the person who toots this horn too often, I will constantly speak up about this. So okay with 
weighing in because it feels like you should never take this power away from your own voice that yeah. people will not take you seriously mm. but that means you're only in it for yourself and i think you really need to look around and realize that you are far more privileged than a bunch of other people and you can do something for other people so just looking out for your own interests is just a sad game i think mm. yeah no you know? it's so true yeah i'm not willing to play it i hope mm. other people don't too so yeah and like you said it's not just the responsibility of women to to fight that as exactly. well like yeah um yeah. it's good to see though that there are increasingly more and more women entering into these this sort of creative it's awesome field. but you know uh, you know <laughs> again <laughs> it's not like an extremist <laughs> but in hollywood writers and directors were all women in the beginning like it was no, considered really. an un unimportant job you know like holding the camera and you know acting like they were more important and directing was just considered nothing and writing was considered nothing I had so no idea about that like a lot of animation cleanup artists were women you yeah, know at I disney mean, in the yeah. beginning they were all turned down saying you know you're not suitable for this job because of your gender basically yeah yeah like these aren't it's it's we're not new to art like we're not new to making no, films course. we're not new to animation it's just been the power dynamics of how businesses were run and how money was made and when women start breaking into an industry where men dominate and make a lot of money historically the wages of the industry drop it's almost like the line that gets pulled as as, as women reach it so there is definitely some truth to that and you know uh i i don't think it's a downer note to necessarily say yeah as more people prove to be capable of something the resources will will struggle to meet that end but i do think that's what creates new industries i do mm. think that's what creates more variety of content mm -hmm. and new outlets for creativity and more voices more it's amazing ideas. i mean yeah like catherine bigelow like don't ever tell me women can't direct or, you know, mm. they shouldn't or they can't be successful. It's crazy yeah, yeah. to me, you know? Mm. Rebecca Sugar. I mean, yeah. it's one of the best things I've seen on TV in a really long time. It looks beautiful as well. It's, and, and she's saying something and it matters, you know? Mm. Yeah. It's, it's so cool. Um, you know, good job Cartoon Network on supporting mm. um, a wonderful new director, you know? But yeah. that's crazy as well. Catherine Bigelow, I mean, she's, she was like the only female director for such a long time. Which sucks, right? Yeah, it's I mean, it's... The Hurt it's, Locker. But yeah, and yeah. The, well, she, well, she did... What was it, Point Break, right? She did Point Break, yeah. What, the... Um, yeah, with the, Keanu Reeves. Keanu Reeves. Oh, I never knew that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it was like, people would, like, hold her up as, like, the only female director for ages. They would say that, and that's messed up, because I think there's a bunch of other female directors. But it, oh, is, right, it, okay. is, it is hard to just, you know... But there is, there, there is still, like... A, a complete lack and also lack of like female directors of color or like anybody who's not yes. white like directing and it's it's fucking crazy i mean the fact that oscars being white just being addressed this year is really mm. funny to me mm, mm, mm. and you know they're like what can we do and they you know invited a bunch of people into the academy this year because they wanted to address this issue but you you know any institution that's built up to put a certain group of people in power whether consciously or not mm. is gonna like you can't just make one tweak and it suddenly becomes okay yeah yeah yeah, yeah. No, and it's, it's, it's kind of it's, it's kind and of also weird. like it's if 
you don't want it to be just because everyone's kicked up at shit one year and you're just sort of appeasing them the next year or whatever like I agree it's that's not a solution you know it isn't and it's not the right way to think either yeah, but yeah. I do understand it's business and it comes down to money and what people I think fail to realize is a lot of times your power as a consumer is more than your power as a voter it's more mm. than your power as a pr- protester so you know if people demand more variety in voices if people demand better portrayal of female characters by women you know they will get it you have wonderful shows starting up now that mm. are made by women and yeah. portray women in a good way and i think that there's that that stuff that comes from consumers but also a part of it has to come from the people who are making stuff and commissioning stuff as well of it's course. like that henry ford thing like people didn't know people thought they wanted a horse-drawn carriage until you know you gave him a car like you have to have those things available for people to be able to buy and there's so few things like that in hollywood or yeah um in tv series and stuff to, to even to people i mean it's only really been in the last couple of years that yeah. you know, i've seen like that much kind of diversity you know i do think there's a reason popular. yeah what's that Social media, it's so down yeah. to social media at the end and it's scary because it creates, it's so easy to give the wrong impression. It's mm. so easy for there to be a mob in the wrong yeah, way. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, so yeah. easy to get Gamergate happening. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. at the same time, recently, uh, Tuesday Basson, who's an illustrator, uh, her work was stolen by Zara. So they stole a number of her pieces that were mm. buttons and they created embro- embroideries of the same things, kind of like patches to go on their clothes. And she contacted them. She's a well-known artist, by the way, and she's worked with fashion mm. labels and, you know, apparel, I should say. And she contacted them and they basically sent her this stupid email saying, your work isn't recognizable enough for us to have to pay you for this. And she went online with it. Mm. And she's a well-known illustrator mm-hmm. so she had and and she had connections in apparel and people knew her work so it went viral and then within the day they contacted her being like oh no like we're gonna pay you it's fine yeah. it's fine yeah. Yeah. We, we didn't intend to steal your work yeah. as yeah. if the first email didn't go through you know yeah. Yeah. yeah and of course in the beginning it was terrible that she had to find a lawyer and give money that she didn't really have to pursue this and it was lucky that she had a presence to necessary like to to create this conversation but it went crazy in, mm. in a day in a day or two mm. and yeah. and that's the thing that brought the situation to justice people and can't be marginalized now because they everyone can potentially have a voice through twitter and instagram yeah. and facebook yeah. but, and, but that also applies to like racists and i know people who want to leave <sighs> the eu and stuff it's yeah a double-edged <laughs> sword <laughs> but you know now there is an instagram account that devotes itself only to people's designs who are stolen she started a store in la or is opening one where she sells other independent illustrators original pieces too and stuff so i do think it gets a little bit better in time and i do think it's because people demand like the oscar so white thing only became a thing that the academy addressed i think because of the social media aspect of it it wouldn't have happened otherwise yeah so it does suck but i also like the bullying part of the internet really sucks in the sense that, you know, wonderful journalists and people who write really opinionated but proper mm. articles can get death threats, which happens mostly to women. But, you know, the only thing here that really doesn't work is the way governments seem to 
you know, police force and governments and security seems to be unfazed by the fact that somebody is getting death threats, somebody mm. is getting threatened, and mm. they really don't understand Twitter. So mm. they don't they don't understand Twitter. They don't understand Snapchat. You go to um, a government building, and they're not going to take it very seriously because they have no idea what's really going on. But mm. that's really happening to you. Like this is the thing that I mm. keep reading from people who have been in this situation, and mm. yeah, I think eventually if government it's always known right like the, that the government and and policy always comes far before far, far far later than when the thing is actually happening so that's a big problem we're having with how fast culture moves now and how fast technology moves and how fast content moves people mm. don't know mm. how to respond to it on time mm. and companies like twitter as well also haven't been able to respond to it they're terrible. I'm, I mean, I'm so there. sorry. Yeah, like freedom of speech, but no, <laughs> you know. I, I have one more question, uh, and that is, are you ever planning to make a short film? Yeah, actually. Yeah? Yeah, I, I am currently working on a number of things. So I'm trying to write. I have. And would that be your first short film? Like uh, technically. Completely self-initiated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's, it's a new area to venture into. <laughs> But it's super exciting. I have two things I wrote, and they're, you know, more they're they're pretty much figured out. But I started writing, and I found myself writing different types of things. So I have a tendency to also believe, as a visdev artist, that the look of the thing and the way you express the thing has to depend on what you're saying and has to be appropriate. So a number of them aren't animated projects, and I think. That's what makes it kind of funny. But there's more than one thing trying to cook at the moment. We'll yeah. see. We'll see what happens next. Cool. Cool. That's Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Keep yeah, us posted us on know. that. Thank yeah. you. I will. <laughs> okay. Should we wrap yeah, up? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Thanks Thank you so, so much. much. Is there anything else you wanted to say or talk about? Or? Thank you. No, not at all. These guys are great. So if you guys <laughs> <laughs> don't know that yet. <laughs> Also, if you come here, visit them because they're lovely. Yeah, we'll probably get you on the podcast if you do. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Uh, I I, I was, you know, everybody you guys brought on, uh, I'm such big fans of them, I feel. Do you know what? This this season two. Yeah, season two is, we've got some big, big big dogs Um, like yourself. No, I don't know about that. (laughs) You're probably the biggest dog. Pepper. Oh, man. Terrible. All right, thanks so much. much Yeah, no, thank you. Yeah, take care. Thanks very much. to tuna for coming and chatting to us i hope you guys uh got as much from it as we did uh thanks very much to alex widdison who helps us out with our edit thanks once again to box of toys audio who did this awesome theme tune uh and thank you to max taylor who helps us out with research and show notes for every episode take care everyone see you next week thanks for listening bye bye